Good morning. We are beginning a new sermon series this morning. Um, this series will lead us through the Epiphany season. And what we're going to be focusing on is the first uh, few chapters of the book of Revelation. We're going to look at the seven letters that Jesus writes to seven churches in Asia. Now our task on this particular morning is, is not to dive into any one of these letters, but to get our bearings straight. Where are we? What is this book of Revelation? What, what does it mean? Who wrote it? That's sort of where we're going to be focusing this morning. Because uh, the simple fact of the matter is, is this. Too many of us either misunderstand the book of Revelation or... We avoid it altogether. Am I right? Have you all been there? The Bible reading plan brings you to Revelation, and you're like, ah, I'll take a break. Go back, to, go back to the Gospels or something. We either misunderstand it or avoid it. I'm with you on that, but, but unfortunately, um, that's too bad. Because this is a rich and deep book. It's full of spiritual challenge and assurance. And so this morning, we're going to tackle a brief introduction to the book. What is Revelation to its author, John? And most importantly, to the one behind it all, the one who is dictating these seven letters to the seven churches. So I would strongly encourage you, especially in this series, to to open up your Bibles. Um, Maybe they're on your phone. Maybe you brought your Bible with you. But but maybe make a habit of it these next few weeks to bring a Bible of some form with you because it's going to be really helpful if you can see and read the words that that we're preaching on. And so today, we're in Revelation chapter 1. I'm actually going to begin with verses 1 to 3. We didn't read those. We're going to begin there and then move forward on to verse 9. And our first, um, first task is, is, what is this book? What is this book of Revelation? What's happening? Well, let's read verses 1 to 3 and get started with that. Revelation chapter 1, beginning at the verse, first verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So first, the title, Revelation. It's there in the first verse, the second word. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The word is apocalypse, and it literally means the unveiling, the removal of the veil, the revelation. And so what this book is doing is is showing us what is truly happening behind the scenes. If we could only see, if we only had the right spiritual eyes, if we could somehow put put on some spiritual glasses, what would we see happening behind the events of this world? That's what revelation is Showing us. It is an unveiling. Paul writes to the Ephesians these words. He says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So we don't wrestle against physical things, things that we can see and sense. No. We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual battle going on that most of the time we don't see. Sometimes we're not even aware of it. But there's spiritual battle and spiritual realities going on, and Revelation is unveiling them for us. It's showing them to us. In fact, I would say to you that this book is only a little bit about the future, right? We hear Revelation, we're like, oh, that's a crazy book about what's going to happen in the future. No, it's actually the crazy book about what's happening right now. The last two chapters are about what's to come, but most of it is about what's now. What's happening in this present age, the age of Jesus' reign at the right hand of God, which was true for these churches in this book of Revelation, and it's true for us today, and it'll be true for the church tomorrow until Jesus returns. It's about those times and those events. And so Revelation, then, is an unveiling an unveiling of the spiritual realities of this present age. And we should expect it to have very real and practical nourishment for us today. On the second point sort of drives this home. Anyone who reads Revelation, who hears it, who keeps it, they will be blessed. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear And who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. There's a blessing that comes from working on this book, from seeking to understand it, from trying to figure out. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy or that it's necessarily going to come naturally, but there will be great blessing for those who do it. Why, you may ask? Well, John says it clearly there at the end of verse 3. For the time is near. The time is near. You might recognize that language from the Gospels, perhaps, from Jesus, where he says, "Um, Behold, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is near you. The time is near. It's interesting to contrast this part of Revelation with the book of Daniel. So much of this imagery in Revelation is also in Daniel. It comes uh, from the same, same source, and they're drawing, uh, Revelation obviously is drawing on Daniel, and, and the, the images are coming from the same person, Jesus. But in Daniel's book, towards the end, um, Daniel's given the command to seal it. Seal the book up. Hold it until the time of the end is near. What a contrast to John's book, right? John says, blessed are those who read it, who hear it. Later on, he'll say, he'll say you, should, you should eat the book. You should inwardly digest it. You should take it in because the time is near. The time of the end that Daniel was waiting on is at hand. We're in the last days. The days before the return of Christ. And those are the days to which this book is speaking. The end for Daniel was far ahead, but it is present for us in the reign of Christ. And so through Christ, death, resurrection, and ascension, we are able to at least begin to grasp what the reality of this reign means for us. And so it's incredibly important to explore and to discern what does the reign of Christ mean for us as a church As individuals, what does it mean that Christ is sitting at the right hand of God? Revelation is seeking to provide answers to these questions. 
So that's the book, Revelation. Who is the author? Well, let's go on uh, to verses 9 and 10. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Who is the author? Who is writing these things down? Well, the author is John. You know, John the Apostle. John, one of the big three. Jesus is often going off with who? Peter, James, and John. This is John who wrote the fourth gospel where he's known as the beloved disciple who wrote three epistles and who is now writing this revelation. John's thought to be the last apostle to live. And here he is on the island of Patmos in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And all of y'all are thinking on this cold and dreary day, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Mediterranean vacation. How do I get that? It was not good for John. He was exiled. He was driven away from his churches in Asia. Many people probably wanted him to be executed. He's probably at the lowest point of his life, the bottom of the barrel. And here, at this lowest moment, he meets Jesus in such a profound way. This is a man who walks side by side with Jesus intimately, who's meeting him in this most amazing way, perhaps more amazing than he's ever known Jesus before, when he's at perhaps the lowest point of his life. What does that say for us in our suffering and our struggling? If Christ is reigning, he can meet us even at the lowest, most challenging and difficult points of our lives. And so he does with John. And he receives this vision in the Spirit, and he's given these words to write to these seven churches. And so that leads us then to the final part. Who is writing the seven letters? So John is, 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 John's writing them down, but who's dictating them? He hears a voice, right, as loud as a trumpet. There in verse 11, what does it say? Heard a voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And he describes the seven churches. And then in verse 12, he hears the voice and now he turns to look and to see the voice that was speaking to him. And what does he see? It's amazing. Turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. But it wasn't just the sight. It was what this person said. Verse 18 or verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, John writes, as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. What a powerful image 
He sees one like a son of man is one way it's described. And, and all of these images of this, this, um, this figure that he sees, so many of them come straight from Daniel. One in particular, this idea of the son of man in Daniel chapter 7. The, the son of man um, c- completes the task that had been given him and he's delivered before the ancient of days. And this, this figure, this one like a son of man, delivered before the Ancient of Days, is given all dominion and all power and all authority. And we see in him a messianic figure. And then we lock it away in Daniel's book because that's what we're told to do. But then Jesus comes and he adopts a title for himself, right? Do you remember what it was? Son of man. And we're thinking, well, he can mean different things by that. But I'll tell you what. The Jewish leaders knew exactly what he meant. And when Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man, they decided that was blasphemy worthy of execution. They knew what he was claiming. They knew the authority he was claiming. And now, here we have in Revelation, this Son of Man is the one who lives. The one who died and is alive forevermore. The first and the last. The one who holds the keys to death and hell itself. He's the authority. He's the one in charge. And he's the one meeting John in the Spirit and dictating these letters to the seven churches. And so he goes on and he says, because of who I am, right, in verse 19, there's that little word, therefore, write therefore. Because of what you've seen and who I am, therefore, write these things down because I'm saying them. They must be important. Write down the things you have seen those that are and those that are to take place after this. Write down everything I'm going to tell you. Write down everything I'm going to show you because it's incredibly important. And so the first thing John writes down are these seven letters that we're going to be studying. And these letters in many ways are, are preparation for these churches, preparation for them to understand and to realize the images and the visions that John's going to see later on. The preparation for these churches to understand the unveiling that John and Jesus have for them. Christ is at the right hand of God. And he wants his people to know who they are in light of this. He wants these churches to know where they stand in light of Christ's ascension and his authority. And it's not always good news for these churches. It's challenging words that we're going to read. Hard things There's assurance in there and there's spiritual challenge. And the idea is be ready, be prepared, understand who you are so you can understand what is to come and be ready for it. And so John is told to write these things down. And we'll close with a little bit of imagery um, and then a couple thoughts to take home. We, we get an insight as into um, these images right here in verse 20. He says, I'm going to go ahead and re- write these things down. I'm going to go ahead and reveal the first mystery to you. Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands are the seven stars, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So you get this idea that, that there's these seven churches and each church has an angel. And you're thinking, wow, that's really nice. Every church has its own angel. 
But I don't think we totally understand. When we think of angels, right, we think of Michael. That's a good angel. We think of the angels that appear to the shepherds, right? These are, these are good angels. They're, they're fearful, but, but they're good angels. Well, Revelation talks about different types of angels. He talks about Michael and his angels. Revelation talks about God's angels. But Revelation also talks about the dragon and his angels. Revelation also talks to us about the angels of the abyss. So it seems like these angels, you know, they could be good, they could be bad, there could be some moral ambiguity to them. And so we have to realize that the angels are reflecting the essence of the churches. These seven churches, which we'll see, definitely have some, some rough spots and some rough edges, and some of them are, are, are downright apostate, it would seem, that, that, that these angels sort of fall in the same category. And so what we realize is that, that John and Jesus are, Jesus is speaking to the very essence of who these churches are. It's not just that they are doing um, things that might be contrary to who God is, but, but at their core they have missed the gospel message. That even the, the angels that go along with them have missed it. It's a dire warning. And you might sit here and think, well, thank goodness it was only these seven. <laughs> But we know in Revelation that John likes to use this spiritual language and spiritual images. And seven was a very important number. It represented the fullness and the wholeness. It represented the fullness of the church. The seven churches represent all the churches. And not just those churches, but the church across time and space. And it includes us. And so we have in these letters a voice of authority from Jesus himself speaking to us today. Will we be prepared for the revelation that he has for us? Do we understand who we are in light of who Christ is? And so it's my prayer that as we read and hear and study and discuss these letters, that we would read them as a word for our church in Somerville, and that we would read it as a word for us in our hearts. And that we would know clearly the source of this book and these words is the risen and ascended and reigning Christ. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee in heaven and on earth will bow before him at the last day. And he has a word for us now. And for Christians, this is a source of great comfort. It's a word of great comfort when we live in a world of great conflict. That even in the midst of conflict and despair and helplessness, Christ is reigning. Christ is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one in ultimate control of history. This is good news for us. And yet at the same time, it might be a source of trouble for an unbeliever or somebody who's Doubting, well, if Christ is in charge, why? Why is the world the way it is? How can he let it be this way? And Revelation speaks to those questions as well. And the answer ultimately is this. It is allowed for you. For you to have the time and the grace to know the love of Christ. That this world would come to know his love, his salvation. Because if he brought it to an end now, there would be many, many, many who would miss out on the salvation of Jesus. 
And so he allows evil to continue in this world and suffering. And, and he, he asks us to suffer with him so that the world may know his gospel. But he gives us a promise that this injustice that we see, the death and sin will not reign forever. That he is coming and he will come again. Injustice will not go unpunished. Sin will not go unjudged. And this world will be made to rights. That's the great promise, ultimately, of Revelation. That the Christ who's bringing the world to rights is the same Christ who's in control now and who's inviting us by his cross and resurrection to come into his kingdom. That we may one one day know the everlasting life that he knows right now.